0: and welcome to another episode of the Economics of Everything podcast with yours truly, Alex Vieira. And here at the Econ of Everything, we believe that economics in its purest form is the study of how people make decisions. Thus, our goal is to make our listeners the most informed decision makers in all parts of their life. Now, today we're going to be taking a look at the Customer Development Manifesto. It is a 14-rule manifesto written by Steve Blank with the Startup Owner Manual. And it's a very good overview of what needs to be done when you're starting a business in a new industry. I know we've been talking about a lot of different industries, and that's going to continue. But it's really important to really dig down into... What is your customer? Who are your cust- well, who are your customers And the process and the rules and mentality that you need to have to be successful in that. Now, if you want to give the book a read, feel free to go onto our website, the econ of everything and you can buy it on there. Now there are 14 rules. The first rule of the customer development manifesto is that there are no facts inside of your building so you need to get out you need you as the founder you need to start hitting the pavement start talking to people business at the end of its day is a contact sport and if you're not talking to your potential clients then you're not discovering if what you're making is necessary if what you're making is filling a need and if what you're making works and so there's a lot of faith-based entrepreneurs one person i know has spent a lot of time building a really cool app but when you're in the web development space you sit in your house you code on your computer for 50 bajillion hours and then you come out of your little little computer development cave and you're like who wants to buy this and that's the wrong way for you to do this you have to make small circles of completed products and then test those hypotheses out in the marketplace by having face-to-face interactions with your ideal customer. Because remember, we have a optimistic idea of how you want the vision of your business to be. Your job as the founder is to discover the difference between fact and fiction. And so you generate your hypothesis of this big pen is going to be the most important and most sold pen in the world. And then you go out. To the market and go hey would you use this pen and you do that on a repeated basis until you're confident and you have enough market support that says that this pen is going to be the leading pen for the future the second rule is to pair customer development with agile development when you're looking at a more established corporate business you tend to see a lot of large waterfall processes for them to do and develop different products. First it goes to the development team and then it goes to architecture and then engineering and it could take six months for a product to be developed. And that's fine when you're a large, uh, if you're Apple and you don't talk about the Apple watch for four years and then you come out and you're like, Hey, it's the Apple watch because you've already have a system and you have a, a whole business in place. But when you're a solo entrepreneur and you are trying to build a product, you make small iterations and you you get customer feedback as quickly as you can and then you make changes to those products to your services and the shorter your feedback loop, the more you're able to change and adapt to the actual market and not the hypothetical market that is currently living in your brain. And so you really have to design your business to be continuously changing towards its customers. The third rule is failure is an integral part of the search of your successful business model. In fact, if you are scared to fail in a startup, then you're destined to. And that's a very difficult process to get accustomed to when you're starting off in your business, because in a startup, you're not executing a set list of tasks given to you by a higher up. You are searching for what those tasks should be. So you're not executing, you're searching. And the only way for you to find the right path is by experimenting with a lot of different paths. And you can't get to the right path without failing. And that's, that's something that becomes ingrained in the startup mentality, the startup world. And so if you're not, if you're too scared to fail, then you're not going to take any path. And that the indecision will be your ultimate failure. Next, number four is making continuous iterations and pivots. You see, when a company is limping along and they're not able to generate the cash flow they need, then only dramatic changes to one or more business models of that company can really set it back onto a successful path. And that is something that needs to be very simple and quick when you're dealing with these iterations. Take Groupon, for example. Groupon had a $12 billion pivot. They started off as Point, which was a social networking site that was competing with your Apples, with your Facebooks, with your MySpaces, and they were trying to be create a social network for people who want to solve problems. And then they were running out of runway. They weren't generating, they weren't monetizing on that community. And then they looked at their data and they realized that the best producing content was the ones that grouped sales and gave them a coupon. And so in 2008, the founder changed their whole company, changed the name to Groupon.com and started offering weekly discounts with their first discount being a buy two pizzas and you get 20% off. And they got 20 sales and that set themselves up for them to eventually have a $12 billion exit into the IPO market. And so That's something that is important. Just because you're on a specific path for profitability based on the vision of you, you the founder have, doesn't mean that that path is going to be the one that gets you to your successful business model. Be like Groupon. Be ready to find the thing that the customers care about most and capitalize on it. The fifth is no business plan survives the first contact with customers so use a more free-flowing business model canvas instead when you're in the the pitch phase when you're trying to raise funding you want to make all of these assumptions oh revenue is going to be 50 billion dollars in three years because the addressable market is 100 trillion and i know five people and if i can just get into walmart and stacy's then it's going to be a billion-dollar company. I know it. That's just how it's going to be. Having that rigid business model puts your company in a very vulnerable position because if you start making hiring decisions uh, in marketing decisions based on this hypothetical business model on a whole bunch of assumptions that haven't been proven, then you risk using and drying up all of the funds available in your company. The business model really needs to look at these few key factors. You need to understand the value proposition, customer segmentation, distribution channel, customer relations, revenue streams, resources, activities, partners, and cost structure. And so these eight different parts of the business model, you need to look at them and create your own assumptions of what is the value proposition? Who are the partners that I need? What are the types of revenue streams that we can take advantage, write out all of those assumptions. And then you as the founder, you as the founding team, test those assumptions, ask people, is this something valuable to you? Would you partner with this company? Is this a product that you would put on your distribution channels? Start, Having those conversations and that's where you'll really start figuring out, oh, let me adjust my marketing so that it's a little more family friendly. Let me move the way that the product is created so that I can get better distribution channels. And you start proving out those variable, various different business model sections until you have something concrete based on user interaction to really move on next is you need to design experiments to test and validate your hypothesis so we just created a number of different hypotheses based on value proposition partners cost structure now you need to create different tests real world opportunities for you to see is this a product or is this hypothesis that i have created for this business factual Or is it something that I have dreamt up? And these tests don't need to be super expensive. You don't need to spend billions of dollars trying to prove whether or not something is going to work. They can be as simple as a product demonstration or or a demo product or a conversation at a networking event. I know when I was trying to find my space in the market, my testing was I would go to networking events and talk to... A lot of people I've never met before. And my test was how do I introduce myself in a way that puts me in a authoritative position as an economist in my market who can help them with a number of different problems and projects and testing out a number of different ways of saying the same thing and different services that could be offered in a social setting, in places where people didn't know me, so if it didn't go well, it wasn't a major detriment to my success. That is a very easy way for you to test your product and just see if it's something that would fit into the global market. And even if the people you're talking to isn't your direct customers or direct partners you're looking to become or talk to. Just that interaction and the the conflict of ideas that come when two people have a conversation about interesting topics forces you to have to establish your thoughts in a deeper place. And so your ability to combat the objections that people are going to throw at you increase as you talk to more people in the market. And they start asking you, Hey, what do you think about this? Have you ever tried that? Why are you doing it like this? Those little objections and questions really position you to better attack the problem than because you actually have to sit down and answer it. And so your attempt to answer those questions, help narrow down your own business. And that's why it's really important for you to test all of those hypotheses. Next, is you need to agree on a market type because it changes everything. Now, one of the most important relationships that you need to wrap your head around is the relationship between the product and the market. Are you a new product in an existing market? Are you a new product in a new market? Are you a new product in an existing market and you're trying to be the lowest cost product? Are you the new product in an existing market and you're trying to be a very niche entrant with a high purchase price? Or are you just cloning a business model completely from a different country, a different geographic area, and just putting that business model into your local geographic space? All five of those different models, have different thoughts and different conversations that need to be have. If you're an existing, if you're trying to go into an existing market with a new product, is there space for that product? Why would they pick your product over a competitor? If you're a new product in a new market, you're dealing with needing to find who your customers are while you're trying to find if that product fits that customer. Because let's say, AI is a new industry that is coming out. It's it's been a it's been in the works, but let's say AI is a new market. If you don't even know who is going to use AI, but you made an AI product, then you're double tasked with finding out who is the people who use AI and then is my product the best for those people? Because you could go through all the work of finding those people and then find out that your product doesn't work for them. And so you might have to find a new group. And so those are issues that you need to start figuring out. And then if you're going into an existing market, so if you're going into creating phones, for example, an existing market, and you wanna set yourself up as a lowest cost leader, then what is the, compa- that that's easier because you can already start looking at okay, who are my competitors in this space? Who are they marketing to? Who's their ideal customers? And you're not reinventing the entire wheel, you're really building off of the success of previous participants so that they, so that you can go ahead and market your new product to them specifically. And sure, if you're trying to compete against the Apple iPhone, you can look at who is Apple iPhone selling most to? take a look at that demographic breakdown and then test your new phone with that same exact composition of people. And now you know who would be buying that phone. You know that they already probably have an iPhone. It's that would almost be best. And then you can be like, Hey, look at this phone that I made and compare it to your iPhone. What do you like? What do you dislike? What would make you want to buy this phone over your iPhone at the moment? And you're not, you're not looking for the person who has this wonky need out of nowhere that is unrelated to any current industries. And because you already know the people who buy an iPhone, do you want to be the cheapest phone on the market? Or do you want to be the most expensive, but you only target a specific type of people? Or you look at their demographic breakdown and you see, wow, wow they they are underutilizing the 5 to 18 year old kids who still need to be in communication with their parents and so i'm going to make a very specialized phone for that age demographic specifically and i'm only going to sell to that demographic and that niche allows you to possibly charge a higher service because you're servicing their needs better than the generic brand so those kind of conversations are all incredibly important. And then finally, cloning a business model that works in another country. That's a incredibly, incredibly intelligent business model. And if you look at some of the biggest companies out in China, that is exactly what they did. Alibaba is a clone of Amazon. We see Group WeChat is used to be in aol source code and they even got sued by aol for using the name in their advertising. They that's what they did. They just found an existing functioning business model outside of their geographic area, molded it so that it fit the needs of their local community and then sold it. And it created a massive wave of adoption because their, the whole, is it a viable product or is it a viable market conversation was already answered by the Amazon of the US. They already knew people needed an Amazon, but it was only in the US. There was no Amazon in China. And so because the customer... Discovery, the customer acquisition, and the customer segmentation has all already been done by a different company. You can fast forward through that discovery and find yourself at the end where you have a successful business model. And then you can scale that business model. And so we've got through about halfway through the 14 rules that I want to discuss. And I really want to say thank you all for tuning in and listening to another episode of the Economics of Everything podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let me know if there's anything you are curious about. Right now, Econ of Everything is very focused on small business owners, entrepreneurs, people who are trying to make a difference in their local community. And so if there's any questions that may help you in those areas, let me know, because econ at its purest form is a study of how people make decisions. And so, the economics of everything, our interest is in your future value. Thank you all for coming in and listening. Please give us a like and a follow on where you're listening. From. And um, let's stay in touch. I'll talk to you soon.